This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to the future of finance, the Motive Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Welcome back. This is Sam from Motive Partners, and you're listening to the Future of Finance podcast by Motive Labs. I'm in Nesseltan for the Astana Finance Days. It's been a whirlwind couple of days. We've spoken to some brilliant people. I am now sat with Sheikh Bilal Khan, Chief Examinate Finance Officer at AIFC and arbitrator at the AIFC International Arbitration Center. And, as I've just found out, a fellow Leeds University student. Welcome. Thank you very much, Sam. You've got one of the longest titles I've come across. It's probably because you're tackling an enormous job over here. Astana, now Nur Sultan, has been heard the world over in recent news because of the change of the name to its city and some political activity. But one of the things people don't necessarily realize is that it's an English rule of law region, which is really unique. Before we get to that part, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your very decorated career to date? Thank you, Sam. Yes, I don't like to talk too much about myself, but I'll keep it short and sweet. It's a pleasure to be here. My background, I'm a UK-born, third generation. My grandfather was a captain in the British Navy. I am a lawyer by profession, an English qualified lawyer. I qualified with a Magic Circle top five firm, Linklaters. I'm now a partner at McCarthy Denning, a City of London headquartered law firm. Uh, here I serve as one of the arbitrators. This is a, a judge in basically in the International Arbitration Centre or court, if you like, uh, appointed by Barbara Doman QC. And I am quite blessed in the sense that I happen to be also an Islamic lawyer, a Sharia scholar. So in the Islamic finance world, which is $3 trillion industry and is huge and the fastest growing sector of global finance worldwide. And City of London prides itself as one of the capitals for Islamic finance with all the work that we've done, the frameworks and the practical kind of implementation in Islamic finance for all kinds of structuring, whether it's insurance, banking, funds, whatever type of work you're doing, you need a Sharia scholar to approve that and Sharia scholars in the world you can count them on two hands and none of those guys who are prominent Sharia scholars are lawyers or bankers or accountants or any kind of senior professional known practicing and so that's one of the USPs I happen to have as a lawyer and as a Sharia scholar so I would execute the transactions in terms of documentation and the structure from both sides I've done that for various deals around the world sovereigns governments and corporates just a bit more about myself I've served in various capacities I've been part of various all-party parliamentary groups in the UK for this region and other parts. I'm, like yourself, a freeman of the City of London, or you're on the verge of being a freeman of the City of London, and I've been an academic, a lecturer in various universities. I've served in different other roles and capacities. I have a number of board positions, advisory boards, uh, non-executive directorships, and I advise three different prime ministers and presidents around the world. So that's just a whistle-stop kind of answer about my background. Wow, I genuinely don't know where to start. And we're not videoing this, uh, regrettably, because you look almost as young as I look. And I look quite young. So you've done an incredible amount of stuff. And what a fascinating USP. I was on the aeroplane out here, Aristano, and I was in the cabin surrounded by lawyers. Now, there's probably a joke to make in there, but I won't make it. Many of them very esteemed gentlemen. 
Lord Wolf and a host of others. Angela Knight was there, some really incredible people. They were all traveling over for this. They all have roles over here within the AIFC uh, legal structure. Can you explain a little bit about what's been built here and why they were all on the flight coming over? Well, thanks for the compliments. I mean, you can say that to my wife, I'm as young as you, but um, that's why I keep the head short and trimmed. You know, you don't see the greys and the whites, but yeah. But on a serious note, AIFC is a amazing new chapter in this part of the world. And as you mentioned in the beginning, right at the outset, it's based on English common law, which allows it to have confidence for global investors, global players to come here, the neutrality, the independence of this place. And then you've got a whole host of other benefits in terms of the tax benefits that you have a 50-year corporate tax-free. You are able to set up your business here and do right business, have investments from any part of the world, and especially the Chinese BRI, Belt and Road Initiative, and the entire Central Asian markets is huge. The golden kind of thread here is the English common law. And the fact that, you know, we have a host of uh, British, elite British, cream of the cream judges here, Lord Wolf and many of the senior judges from the UK. And we have arbitrators, including myself, uh, UK and from elsewhere. All of us have come here and serve in one shape or other in terms of either an advisor or a judge or an arbitrator. And they're here now and we are, because this part time of the year, we have the Astana Finance Days and we have a series of conferences. And around those conferences, we do various board meetings and updates. So everybody has come into town and it's a nice time of the year. Astana as a finance centre has grown rapidly. Given the fact that last year was its official launch, we've crossed 200 companies already. We've got IPOs done on the stock exchange. We've developed the entire financial structure, regulatory structure for our regulator here. And this is in record time. And when you look at the advisory boards and councils that we have here, we have some of the best minds around the world in this place. So this shows you the political will, the intent of the leadership of this country, and the fact that they have built all the foundations and the fabric in terms of the frameworks, the enabling legal environment. And now the next chapter is attracting businesses to grow the place, to really have a true interface between international investors and the projects in the market. This will help. If you look at the opportunities around here, Kazakhstan is a natural resource country. It's one of the richest countries in the world with all the natural resources it has. And around the place, the other countries are not short in their own way. So having the English common law system helps that. So if you're an American investor, you're from Europe, you're from China, Japan, whichever part of the world you're or Australia, New Zealand, having that English common law basis and the confidence will help you a lot. Thanks. That's really useful. And I completely agree with you. Momentum is critical while building a financial centre and having government momentum is probably the most critical of those components. The UK has made leaps and bounds in financial technology and been a financial services leader for so long because of that government momentum. They understood about right touch regulation, they understood how to build the regulatory environment and combine that with a collaborative environment. Have you heard of Brain Food? It's our weekly newsletter and it comes out every Sunday morning. It's packed with the best content that we come across on financial services and technology. It contains quotes, articles, events, and it showcases rising fintechs and people in our industry that inspire us. You can subscribe at motivepartners.com. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you said it, the Islamic finance $3 trillion industry is going to benefit Kazakhstan and what as chief Islamic officer, what role you're going to play in doing that? 
Islamic finance is today, if you look anywhere around the world, any financial center of, of serious note will have Islamic finance. They have all the rule books and regulations. Nearly every major law firm in the world and major financial institution, a bank or insurance company, has Islamic window or fully-fledged Islamic subsidiary of some kind. That's whether you're British, European, American, anywhere in the world. So the reason for telling you that is that this isn't for Muslims by Muslims. This is a complete different area. It's an ethical way of finance with Islamic value proposition. But if you break that down and deconstruct it, it's all about transparency, risk sharing. It's about you know no leverage or debt-based finance, which has got us in the problems we have been in the last few decades. And that is shared by whoever you are. If you're from the Christian faith, Jewish faith, or no faith whatsoever, everybody buys into that proposition. Hence the reason why we have a huge buy-in from the non-Muslim general population regarding this new space. And this can be in environmental area, it can be in social infrastructure, education, universities, whichever area you're looking at. Look at the, the bonds. UK as a government has issued an Islamic bond, a sovereign sukuk, which was 200 million paper, but within the first morning of trading it went to 2.3 billion that shows the level of interest in that paper and it shows level of interest in UK but also in Islamic finance as an industry so my job here I sit on two different boards first of all one board the advisory council on Islamic finance that's made up of practitioners we look at the practitioners perspective of what's market practice in the world and how we should implement that here the other board is of Sharia scholars five of us the leading four Sharia scholars are there and obviously I happen to tag along I'm on that board and we look at the Sharia issues and approve that sovereign bonds and other issues. Then as Chief Islamic Finance Officer, this is a pure business development role, which means obviously shows that AIC has confidence in me to be able to go out in the market and meet CEOs and government officials and ministers from around the world to be able to sell and promote AIFC to attract their business here. And this can only be done when you have somebody who has a career. And I've over two and a half decades of Islamic finance work. So, you know, whether I go to UK and Europe or I go across the Middle East, Asia, North America, I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing, but most people know me in Islamic finance. Nearly everybody will know me in the entire world, in the Islamic finance world. So it shows I've done a lot of work. It also adds credibility to this part of the world. And my job is to go out there break down, simplify, demystify Islamic finance in simple English, which is a huge task, by the way. A lot of people will end up bamboozling you with Islamic finance. And, and my job is to simplify in very simple business English terms. And not only the value proposition, but the economic commercial benefit, because that's what customers and businesses want. And then, you know, this title I've had or this position I've had has been since April. So within the space of two months, I've almost delivered, you know, over 10, 15 institutions already here. And that shows you the credibility of going across, breaking the things, simplifying the processes and executing the business in terms of attraction here. So that's my role. And obviously I go out there and speak at conferences and keynote speeches, speak in the media and do various things. But the ultimate thing is to attract business. If there was any dispute that came to the arbitration court and it was an Islamic finance dispute, then I can be appointed as one of the three arbitrators to sit on that as well. Thank you. I've already learned more, I think, during this podcast than I've certainly learned probably this year. So Islamic finance principles, it's all about transparency, it's all about risk sharing. I think that, that part particularly important. Particularly important, I think, given even out of 2008, we still haven't learned the lessons of systemic interdependencies and fragility. So I wonder whether there are certain things in Islamic finance that we could weave into common day practice, particularly in financial services. And then no debt. 
Lots of people talk about debt being cheap, about debt being good. I've never subscribed to that. So it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about it. Big question, but how do you think governments and businesses around the world can play a part in the AIFC's future role? And where's the mutual value? So and maybe you could take a case study of each. Just actually finishing off on the point of Islamic finance, I think if you look at most of the collapses and insolvencies that happened in the last financial crisis, it was mainly to do with the leverage and the level of debt and the fact that money was seen as a commodity in itself when money today that we deal in, the paper money, hasn't got intrinsic value. It's underwritten by a treasury or a government or a central bank. But if that, in the case of Greece and Spain, goes nationally bankrupt almost, then what is that paper worth? Nothing. Because we're dealing in today fractional reserve banking. There is only a reserve of gold in the bank. So Islamic finance principles say that the value of money is only as a medium of exchange to exchange for a commodity, but not in itself a money uh, as in a commodity. And that helps a lot. Also, there's a risk sharing and risk return sharing kind of alignment, which makes financiers and bankers more responsible. And they will not create junk bonds and subprime mortgages and lend to anybody because they've got the security of the charge over the property. That doesn't help. And real assets need to be underlying. There are certain sectors that are are not permitted to invest in because they're harmful to society, whether it's arms or other areas as such. So these are the value propositions of Islamic finance, and they make sense, you know, speculative nature. If you don't own something, it's not in existence or not in your possession. Why are you allowed to trade in this? Short selling was one of the biggest reasons why UK went into crisis, and they banned it for eight months and then opened it again. Islamic finance doesn't allow it full stop. And this doesn't mean, by the way, that you can't do finance or trading in any form. You can, because if you're doing equity-based finance or risk-sharing, you, you can make much more than debt-based, because debt-based finance always gives you a fixed income return. Yes, that gives you a bit of certainty, but it also provides the other flip side of our debt problem. The debt problem is huge. And this is not an Islamic problem, an Islamic solution only. This is a fundamental issue around the world. Tax is deductible from an interest. So when you've got interest on debt, you don't have to pay tax on that. But when you've got dividend on an equity, you're paying tax on this. This fundamental change has created disadvantage for equity. Until we don't change that root issue, we won't get any solutions around the world. And today's solutions are giving more debt as a solution to debt problems. Mm. Anyway, that, that's that. And Islamic finance plays that role. And today you've got the Vatican City, the Church of England, everybody looking at Islamic finance. And this is amazing time. The sustainability of it, the inclusivity, the diversity. It's, there's so many values around Islamic finance, which is helpful. And that's the reason why you've got countries like UK and other parts of the world which are interested in Islamic finance. One more thing to mention in terms of the financial centers, what you asked, uh, and the case studies and what we've done, uh, we have various MOUs, memorandums signed with other financial centers around the world and other key parts of the world and institutions, and we're working together. The way to attract governments to come here or, or businesses to come here is that this part of the world doesn't have a financial center anywhere. So if you fly within three hours, you've got, you know, huge 800 million population underserved. And you have a economies around here like the Russian economy, which is good, but it's got sanctions on it from the US. You have the Chinese undergoing a trade war with the US. But AIFC and Kazakhstan has always been neutral when it comes to various countries. And you will see peace accords here. You'll have, you know, international world leaders meeting here. That shows you, and not just economically, but politically, Kazakhstan has that platform to bring major players of all kinds to hear. And the confidence of AIFC is paramount itself. You know, it speaks for itself. If you look at the shareholders, you have the Shanghai Stock Exchange here. 
you have Nasdaq from New York, you have Silk Road Fund here, you have Goldman Sachs, you've got the Americans, the Chinese all here working together. And I think it's an amazing time, really. And personally, I would say there is no institution that's restricted or limited or no government that's limited in any shape, form, economically or politically from taking a part of this. And business is business. You know, there is money to be made for international businesses to come here. And I would encourage everybody to come. Thank you. Again, really, really useful. And I could talk to you for days. Luckily for you, we're not going to do that. A couple of final questions. You've had a very decorated career, as we've we've spoken about. What's been, I fear that this is not an easy question for you to answer. What's been the most valuable lesson throughout your career? I couldn't put a finger on one, but if I was just to say a few, I would say relationships are very important that you build. So anybody out there who's got an amazing CV in terms of academics, that is not enough. It's not about having an MBA or a PhD or having a CEO role. It's about relationships because ultimately you're dealing with people. If you can bring confidence into a transaction or into a any form of a business through your personal relationship and that is personal and social it's not commercial so if I could pick up the phone and speak to someone in a different part of the world who happens to be a minister or a CEO of an organization because of my previous dealings that adds value so relationships are important number one related to that point I think is trust Trust is a huge factor. Luckily, and I don't want to speak too soon, but my career has been whiter than white. And that's important that you, you keep that trust factor, you deliver, which is absolutely paramount to have delivery of work. And if I was to boil it down to a, I always say this to people, it's a case of, I call it the four L's, and that is learning. I'm always learning and you never stop learning. And I think that's helped me always. The next I would say is living. You don't want to have an early burnout. You don't want to just put everything into a career and, and which doesn't revolve around your family life, your health, because you could have an astonishing career, but you've lost everything else. Loving, in a sense, career has got emotions and it also helps you in the sense that, you know, you have feelings and that's how you create relationships. So whatever you do, don't just do it behind the screen. We're, do, we're living in a digital world and you don't have that emotive contact with people. People don't really appreciate what you're doing or what they're doing. And finally, I think it's, it's the legacy which is important. Legacy to a lot of people is, oh, let me get into my retirement age and then I'm going to think about legacy and what I'm going to leave behind. I always say to people, whether you're in your 20s or your 30s or 40s, whatever you are in your life, try to do something which will create a legacy, which will start a system, an institution. And the best way, one area I've always focused on is be a giver. Forget taking. Just be a giver. And ultimately, for the rest of your life, you'll be a taker. You don't even have to worry about it. You don't demand things. You command that through your deeds. So if you meet someone, it's about how can I help you? Very simple as, as that. What can we do to, for you as AIFC? Not to say to them, can you come here? What can we do for you? And that changes the whole mindset. And this has been, you know, huge for me interpersonally. I've enjoyed my career. I have been very lucky. I've had a lot of breakthroughs. I've had a lot of people who've helped me. But ultimately, I think it's about what you give back to people and back to society. You've got a convert here. I subscribe to all of that. I think EQ is as important as IQ. Trust is paramount. Yeah, what is the world without trust? The four L's, learning, living, loving, legacy, all of them very, very, very powerful. And be a giver. Those have been etched on my mind. Thank you. Final question. We've asked everyone the same thing. You've got to try and say something so unique that no one else has said it so far. Tell our listeners something about Kazakhstan that they didn't know. Kazakhstan as people, I would say, and not as just as a country. Um, yes, of course, I'm sure you know they eat horse meat. 
I'm sure you know that the weather here in winter goes to minus 45, minus 50 sometimes. I don't know if people will know this or not. But the beauty of this part of the world is, for me personally, is the historic rich culture, which is amazing. And I've seen this wherever I've gone, whoever I've met, whether it's the symbol of the eagle, they have the hunting with the eagle and there's whole kind of stories behind that and, and how they believe in this. But how hospitable people are, really, as nomads. You know, you can go to a person who's not a nomad, obviously, now, but they will take you in and you'll be seen as a family member. And I've really been taken by that. I've traveled across the country, up and down the country in this short time. I've met all kinds of people and they've been really warm. Obviously, I've not tried some of the stuff. It's been a bit of a shock to the system. I'm slowly converting. I don't know if I will convert completely, but, but they're very hospitable, warm, kind, welcoming people. And I really wish everybody the best here. I mean, this part of the world deserves that. They've gone under a lot of issues and problems over the last you know century or so. But the country, the region has an amazing civilization from the old Silk Route to Bukhara, Samarkand, the architecture, the learning, the schooling here. Now this this AIFC, which I always call it, and I heard it somewhere else, but I, I like to re, uh, kind of mention it all the time, is it's the buckle on the belt of the Belt and Road Initiative. It's the heartbeat. Whether you're going westwards or eastwards, Chinese, Russians or anybody else, they want to work through the AIFC. There's connectivity with different parts of the world. I'm really happy that I'm here and I'm spending this time of my life and, and career in this part of the world. I've not had horse meat. I came in the summer, but I have been the recipient of the wonderful hospitality. In fact, to the point where I bought the lovely chap who's been showing me around is waving at us, knocking on his watch, telling us it's time. The buckle on the belt, I think, is the perfect phrase to end. Sheikh Bilal Khan, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.